You know, I had this thought when I was driving uh, over here this morning that the miracles of yesterday just prepare us for the miracles of today. And if you stop and think about what that means is that it means that once you get on this, this pattern of seeing God's hand in what you do, they seem to just keep coming over and over again. I, I thought I would bring this only just as a reminder that how real this really is. These are the, the first uh, drawings of the floor plan for the new building. And I think the miracle of this is not just that we have a building, but it's also a miracle that it seems like every time we need something, God comes through. So I'm talking to Ben, and he's kind of helping us organize and oversee this project. And he said, do we have a mechanical engineer? And I said, I don't know. And he called me back a day later and said, we have a mechanical engineer in the church, an electrical engineer. We have an electrical engineer. And we just kept going through this. And it's like God has provided everything we need. And I really do expect that uh, this miracle of getting this building um, is as great as it is and as good as it is. I really believe the miracles of the next uh, in the days ahead are going to be even greater. And there's something brewing right now that uh, I don't have the freedom to tell you about, but it, uh, I will on the 12th. So if you don't have tickets on the 12th, you need to come. If we're sold out, just show up anyway and, and, and do a lay miz and just, you know, hit the barricade and try to get in. How's that for an answer, huh? Let me talk to you a little bit about this idea of the wilderness. There's nothing sweeter in your life than being in dark times. St. John of the Cross, a mystic of many hundred years ago, wrote a book called The Dark Hours of the Soul. And in that book, he talked about it's in those dark hours of the soul that you find God in the depth of his being. And that apart from, apart from those dark hours of the soul, you really don't understand God as God is. Because there's something about our self-sufficiency that keeps us from relying fully on him and seeking him with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength. And as much as we hate the dark hours of the soul, we love the dark hours of the soul. I can remember times over the last year where there were moments where it was really dark and really deep. And at the same time, and, and, and while I hated it, I loved it. Because I found myself in communion with God in a new and a fresh way. Many of you know, and maybe all of you know what I'm talking about when I say that, that there's something special about hungering after God. There's just something special about it. It's just different. There's desiring God and then there's hungering God. There's that weeping after and seeking Him with all of your heart. And what we find in this wilderness report is that the wilderness improves your spiritual vision. When you're in the wilderness, you see things you don't see. You understand things you didn't understand. And you find in you a strength to walk in the power of God that you did not know before. You also find that God fights your battles in the wilderness. Apart from the wilderness, you're trying to fight your battles. And you, you work through all those things that start with the word self. Self-sufficiency and self-righteousness and all those other things. 
But in the wilderness, you realize, I can't do this, God. Will you do this for me? And what we want to do is we want to be able to maintain that kind of hunger, that kind of dependency, that kind of desire after God, like we do in the dark hours of the soul. Because we find this third truth to be true, that you can be in the middle of a miracle and not even know it. Not know it. You say, well, I think I know it. You just know a little bit of what God is doing. Have you ever looked back and said, wow, now as I see it from that perspective, I understand what God was up to and what God was doing, but, and I knew something special was happening, but I didn't know the full impact of what was happening. The miracles of God have a depth that go beyond our understanding. Just like the grace of God and the wisdom of God, the depths cannot be plumbed by the man, by the heart of man. Let me take you to Exodus chapter 34, verses 10 through 16. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. The word covenant is a Hebrew word, berith, and it means to cut. It was something that was cut, and, and it had the implication that it was, it was torn, it was ripped, and it was secure. He said, I want to make a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do marvels. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth. God says, when you become a covenant people, I'm going to move into your life and I'm going to do things you've never seen before. In fact, I'm going to do things in a way that all the nations of the world are going to look and say, what is God doing? Nor in any nation and all the people among you shall see the work of the Lord. You see, part of what God wants to do is he wants to demonstrate his glory in us, through us, so the world can believe. We don't exist for ourselves. We are mission. We are on a mission, and a mission is to tell the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere we go, to bring more worshipers in, that they might give glory to God, give praise to God, and that we might fill up heaven with people we don't even know right now. Isn't that exciting? Men and women of every tribe and every nation. I love living here in Anaheim Hills because it is so diverse. We're pretty white right now, but we can work on that, amen? We got to get church looking like heaven. We got to have some more rhythm. I mean, this white boy on stage doesn't do so well. Look what Elsa says, all people shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing. Now notice this phrase, you'll miss it if you're not careful, that I will do with you. He's not saying what I'm going to do in you. He says what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to partner with you in this kingdom endeavor in such a way that God is going to get the glory. You're going to enjoy the ride all the way. I'm going to do something with you. Observe that I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out before you the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and the Mosquitoite. I don't know why all those tribes had to have the eye on the end of them, but they did. You see, they were possessing the land that God had given to Abraham. God says, I'm going to get them out of the land for you. They were tribes everywhere inhabiting that land. And the problem with all of these tribes was they carried with them false religion. And God knew that this people coming out of Egypt had a tendency to move into the area of idolatry. 
God wanted to protect them because they were going to be the carriers of the good message of God. Just like you and I have to be protected from those things that come up against us. In that day, they were called Canaanites and Amorites and all those other tribes. But today, we see on every hand those who are pulling at our affection, trying to get us off and move us in the area of idolatry and and giving our devotion and our time and our money to things that don't really matter. But look what God says. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land that you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. In other words, you're going to find yourself making deals with the enemy. You're going to say, well, that's not so bad, is it? Well, after all, don't everybody, don't all Christians do that? But look what it says. But you shall destroy their altars. You shall break down their sacred pillars. You shall cut down their wooden images. And we'll talk about those in a bit. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous. We hear a lot about the names of God. Have you ever heard this name? God says, my name is Jealous. You ever been jealous? You ever just been kind of eaten up with jealousy? I was dating a girl in college one time, broke up with her. She just wasn't fit to go out with until my roommate started dating her. She never looked so good. Most beautiful girl on campus. I thought, what happened here? Where did that come from? Well, that was the wrong kind of jealousy, wasn't it? But you see, God has this idea of of jealousy that's pure, and the idea is that God wants to love you. God wants to put his arms around you even now as I speak and, and say, come close to me. I want to embrace you. I am jealous for your love. When he spoke to the prophet Hosea, she had gone off, his wife had gone off and played the part of a harlot. And he was going to put her away. He was done with her. He was a prophet of God, and he would have nothing of it. And God said, you go after her, you seek her out, and you speak tenderly to her. You love her, and you whisper in her ear. Hosea objected to it, and he said, how can I do that? She's played the part of a harlot. And he said, so has Israel. But I will go after her, and I will speak tenderly to her, and I will whisper in her ear, and I will lure her back to my loving arms. It's what God does to you. Every time you get away from God, don't think God hates you. Don't think God has put you aside. God is whispering in your ear, I love you. Come back. Come back to this loving relationship. He is a jealous God, it says, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and you play the harlot with their gods. And you make a sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you and to eat the sacrifice and you take your daughters for your sons and your daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. I want you to see God's response to our sin. This idea of a covenant is what God says, I'm going to do on your behalf. In the book of Malachi, the last book that we find in the Old Testament, chapter 3 and verse 1, look what God says about what he's going to do. Behold, I will send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly appear in his temple. God is telling Israel, I'm going to send a messenger. 
I'm going to send someone who's going to bring the announcement, but I'm going to send someone who's going to be my messenger, and he's going to fill the temple, and he's going to be the messenger of the covenant, a new covenant. This old covenant that we read about in the Old Testament, God is bringing to fulfillment in this New Testament covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. There's a promise. You see, the Bible is prophetic. It's always pointing you to what God is going to do. He tells you in advance. In fact, Scripture says God does nothing except he reveals it first to his servants, the prophets. The last book of the Old Testament reminds us that he is coming. The last book of the New Testament announces that he has come. Jesus came the first time to establish a covenant with man, a covenant sealed in his blood. He will come a second time to judge the nations and to make war, the nations who have turned their back on God. And we have become one of those nations who have turned their back on God Almighty. We have suffered spiritual amnesia and have come to believe that we can go forth like Samson, unaware that the power of God has gone out of us and sin has entered into our life. God will not be mocked. The message of that messenger that came, Jesus himself came and said this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what the good news about that is? There's nobody that's better than anybody else. If you look up and down your row and you see someone's a sinner, you have spotted six plus billion people on earth who qualify with that title. I often thought just to have a church that's called Sinners are Welcome Here, or the bigger the sinner, please come, would be a welcoming sign. Because sometimes we think the church is some kind of a museum to preserve piety and righteousness. I can remember one time going in to, to a church. I was just saved, and I didn't know the rules. I didn't know church had rules. I didn't know people had their own seat. And the new building, we're not going to be fixed, and we're going to move the location of the, of, of the platform constantly. We're going to keep you in total disarray. I walked in, and I sat down. And I was kind of a smart aleck in those days. And I sat down getting ready to enjoy a nice sermon. A lady came up and tapped me on the shoulder and she said, excuse me, son, you're in my seat. Well, I wasn't about to move. I said, I don't see your name on it. She said, stand up and look right here. And sure enough, there was a plaque there. Apparently she had bought the chair and her name was on the seat. I said, well, I give up. I went and found another seat. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second message of that messenger is this, that sin separates us from God. You can't find God because you're better than somebody else. You can't get to God because you're religious. You can't get to God because you perform some ritual. You can't find God because you were born in a Christian nation in a Christian home and you live in a Christian community. It's not about that. Sin separates us from God. And that sin, it pays a wage, and the wage is death. Physically, we can be alive, and spiritually, we're dead to the very core because we are not responsive to the Spirit of Almighty God. 
And once we receive him, his spirit comes and makes our spirit alive, and we become receptive, and then we have to cultivate the spirit that is within us so that we hear his voice and respond to his word and we, we listen to what God wants us to do. The good news is that God is willing to overlook your sin and my sin. I love this scripture found in Psalm 103. It says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. If God dealt with you and I according to our sins, we'd be toast, right? Because we're not qualified. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Nor has he punished us according to our inequities. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. Now your friend might remember your sins, but God doesn't. Your wife, your husband might bring up your sins, but God won't. He has removed them. He has taken them out of the place. You see, Jesus Christ came to bring man to God. In John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says, God did not send his son into the world to judge the world. And God hasn't sent you into the world to judge the world either. It's not my place and your place to judge the world. It's my place to give them the good news, to give them the love of Jesus Christ. I pulled in to get some gas the other day. I was trying to put it off as long as I could because it was raining. Finally, it was down, and the morning light had been on, and it said I had like four miles left. I said, I guess it's time. I pulled in there, and I'm putting gas, and a guy comes walking by me, and, and, uh, and he's asking me for money. And my first response is, you know, he's filling up over here. He's got a tank full of gas. He's, I see him over there filling up. And think, this guy doesn't need money. He's just put in $4 a gallon and filled up his car. I finished filling it up. I pulled around. The Spirit of God just slapped me upside the head. Does he ever do that to you? Sometimes he nudges me, but most of the time he just gives me a good slap. He says, what are you doing? Are you really going to miss a little bit of money? What if that's one of my angels? Whoa. I roll down the one. Hey, hey, buddy, you still need some money? Yeah, here you go. I don't know who he was. I don't know if his need was legitimate. The only place that thing that was important right then was I needed to be obedient to God. That's the only thing that mattered. Everything else, you see, is secondary. The sacrifice I make is not the important thing. It's obedience always precedes sacrifice if it's acceptable in the heart and the mind of God. It says the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Salvation comes through him. Let me show you a second thing that is going on in this passage. That is God's miraculous intervention. In Exodus 34, notice he said there, before all your people I will do marvel, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation among any people among whom you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Here's the truth. God says I will do marvels. I want to see God do those things in my life. Amen? We've been trying to negotiate more parking over at the post office. 
We've already had someone across the street say, it looks like we can, we can use their parking lot. And we thought, what a blessing. And last night I got a text, and it said, I got good news. There's a man who's on the same side of the street who owns a property who has about 69 parking places, and he says, you can use them free. Do you realize if we put all these parking places together, we have about 300 parking places? Let me translate that out. That means we can park about 1,500 people at one time. And we haven't paid for most of them. That's the blessings of God. That's the generosity of man. We don't have to seal them. We don't have to stripe them. We don't have to repair them. I mean, stop and think about this. We just have to use them. That's our only goal. And that's your role and my role to make sure that that, all those lots are full every single week, amen? We have to tell the message. See, God says, I'm going to do the unprecedented. In other words, I'm going to do things that have not been done before on the earth. That's what I pray for. God, do the unprecedented with us as a church. Do something that's going to just blow us away with your kingdom power. God does the unique He says, nor have I done in any other nation. God, do something special with us. Make it unique. Make it unprecedented and make it unmistakable. Make the world step up and take notice and say, I don't know what's going on over there, but I think I want to be a part of that. I want to join in in that movement that's happening over there. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you, you. You, every one of you, God is looking for daring men and women who will dare all, people who will do great exploits for the kingdom of God, people who will go to God first and not to their calculator to see what is possible. If we on this journey would have done what was possible, we would have stopped on February 19th. We wouldn't be here today. Every week, my get up a sick thing in my stomach going, are you kidding me? We're going to try that? Where are we at? Will anybody show up next week? I seriously do. I just say, well, we're going for it. We'll see what happens. God, it's up to you. You've got to come through because I don't know how all this stuff's going to work. Right now with the building and and what God's doing there and this next big thing we're going to share with you that God is doing, it's just kingdom-level stuff. It makes me pray more. Now you're all wondering what it is, aren't you? That was the goal. The goal was to tease. The goal is to draw you in to the presence of prayer. See, if you really want to know what's going on, just ask God. He was the one who told me. Amen? People who will go to God first to see what God can do. We believe that with God, all things are possible because he said it in his word. Thy word, O God, is true and fixed in the heavens and eternal. The the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. And my word, he said, will not return void, but I will bring forth that which I have promised because the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace of fire seven times. And Job himself said, when I go through the furnace, I will be refined and I will come forth like 
gold. That's what we want to be, a people who have been, the dross has been burnt off and the life has been given over to God. We believe all things are possible with God. It is the Father's good pleasure, he told us, to give us the kingdom, a kingdom that cannot fail, a kingdom that will not be shaken, a kingdom that is not fragile, a kingdom that is not timid, a God's kingdom. It is an eternal kingdom. Look what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 32. The people who know their God. Do you know your God? Do you really know God? Your view of God will dictate your level of faith. The people who know their God will be strong and they will carry out great exploits. When you know God, you're going to carry out great exploits. Joshua 23 and verse 10. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. God, I just love you. Have you said that lately? God, I just love you. Let's just say that together. God, I just love you. Let's say it again. We can all try to get in this game now. Ready? God, I just love you. I don't always understand what he's doing. It, oftentimes it's confusing. I get frustrated with his calendar. But I love him. God, God's jealous love. Let's look at that for a moment. God's warning was, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. I fear that we, as a people, have made a covenant with the people of the land. We've compromised our convictions. We've sold ourselves off to the cheapest bidder. The problem is that Canaanites are in the land. The Canaanites are consuming our values. The Canaanites are eroding our foundation. The Canaanites are suppressing the truth. The Canaanites are teaching our children. And as they teach our children, they steal them away from the heart of God. I'm not, I'm not criticizing anything in particular. I'm just saying that if you don't pour more into your children than your schools do and their friends do, do not be surprised if you raise up a Canaanite who will go after false gods, who will not love the Lord their God with all their heart, their mind, and their soul. Just do not be surprised. Do not cling to that one promise if you don't do the rest that says, raise up a child in the way he shall go. That means you protect them from the Canaanites, and they have filled our land. Today, the Canaanites in our land act as though God is an intruder, an unwelcome guest in his own house. But I've got good news. God is getting ready to clean house. And when God gets ready to sweep the doors and sweep the hallways, something begins to happen. He says there's three things you need to do. He said you need to destroy their altars. You know what that is? That means do not be impressed by the prestige of this world. See, the altars were all built to be prestigious. They were to be better than somebody else's altar. They were the place they sacrificed on, and but, but prestige became the important thing. Destroy their altars, he tells us in verse 13. Break down their sacred pillars. Those were the things that were pride. They would build the pillars higher and higher, and, and those who had the most, that would, be pride, that would bring forth pride in the part of a people. And God says, break down. Do not buy into the pride of this world, but walk humbly before your God. 
and then cut down their wooden images, and that was the power. They would carry a wooden image with them, and it represented power, and wherever they could take that little household god with them, it was their power. You see, and, and Isaiah even, he, he, in tongue-in-cheek, he makes fun of these gods that they, they carve out of wood, and they put them on their donkey, and they carry them around because they have a god they have to carry, but we have a god who carries us. When Paul was writing to Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he wrote these words. He said, For I am jealous, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He said, I have a godly jealousy for you. Can I just say I have a godly jealousy for you? I want you to love God with all your heart. He said, For I betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow the serpent who deceived Eve by his own craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, you can can be a Christian and you can be pulled away. The serpent can pull you away and, and he can take your affection. And as you are a chaste virgin unto God, that is, you say, I'm not gonna corrupt myself with other gods. You find yourself being pulled away and beguiled through your minds are being cr- corrupted and, and everything becomes complicated and, instead of simple. The simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10 says, but you are a chosen generation. You are chosen by God. You were chosen in a royal priesthood and you are a holy nation. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have the mercy of God. You know why God is a jealous God? He's a jealous God because he's the creator of all things. Listen to what it says in in the book of Isaiah 42. Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit who walk in it. He is your creator. He's jealous for that. He is jealous because he alone can set you free from the bondage that you find yourself in, that I find myself in. Isaiah 42 and verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. He alone can set you free. He is jealous because he is the Lord. Isaiah 42 and verse 8, I am the Lord and that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another nor my praise to any graven image. He is a jealous God because he is the God of the prophetic future. Isaiah 42 and verse 9, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I will tell you. I am jealous for you, God says. I want you so much to want me and to walk with me and to love me, to let me be your God to let me fight your battles, to let me meet your needs. It's why we pray. It's why we fast. It's why we give. It's why we sacrifice, because he is our God. It's not about keeping ministries running. It's about he is our God. And he was the one that instituted worship. He was the one that told us this is the way it was supposed to be. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. 
It's really simple. Isn't it time just to sell out to Jesus? I I will ask people that question, and sometimes they'll say, well, I I don't want to do that if I'm really not committed to doing that. And I'll ask this question, well, what would it take for you to really be ready to do that? Would it take a week? Would it take a month? Would it take a year? Would Would it take a change in the world's events? What would it take for you to really sell out to Jesus Christ? Because I I fear that that answer is just smoke and mirrors. It's really not a real answer. Because right now, each one of us have it within our capacity to say these words, I am willing to sell out completely to you, Jesus. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's involved. Sometimes people are afraid, well, what if God takes me down a road that I don't want to go? He can do that anyway. Amen? You think he... Oh, if they don't want to go, I'm not going to take them to... Come on. Get real about this. This is like being in the back seat when you're five and your parents are driving. You're going to go where they want to go anyway. You can say, I want to go to McDonald's and get a Happy Meal. And they say, I don't think that's happening. They just keep going past McDonald's. You're crying. They don't care. My kids were little. They'd cry for me. I didn't care. I'm not going. Until my wife told me to turn around, and then I went. <laughs> I remember buying our first new car. I couldn't wait to have a new car, new car smell, one that didn't smell like French fries and diapers. Took it about a week to get baptized and all that stuff. Here's a second life application. Why not let God fight your battles? Why not? Why not? I'd rather somebody else fight my battles. God, I'm just going to hand it to you. I, you hear me say this all the time, and you probably think I'm a little bit crazy. I just, I just believe God and just expect God to come through, and, if, and he doesn't come through. That's his problem, not mine. I don't know, God. I'm doing what you told me to do. If I look like an idiot, so be it. But you have to come through. You want to walk on the borderline of disaster that if God doesn't come through, his word is not true, and you look like an idiot. I just believe God. Just trust God. you got to say it so when it's not so in order for it to be so. That's faith. Romans 4 puts it like this. Abraham called those things that are not as though they are. Say it so when it's not so in order for it to be so. That's faith. I'm just walking in that, God. Here I go. Here I go. You know, at first people kind of look at you like you're crazy. Then they kind of catch the flow of faith. Oh, yeah, well, I think God could do that. Well, then let's just go see God do that. What do you think? What do you think? Let's see what God can do. Amen? I got to tell you one fun thing. I was looking at the floor plan, and when you walk into that front foyer of that new building, and you look to the right, you will see an architectural wonder. Why are you laughing? You will see an architectural wonder. There will be, right in perfect sight, our architect has drawn it in perfectly for us, you will see the door of the vault, the safe, with the big giant tumbler on it, where we're going to put all our wayward children. 
and adults. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts right now, just uh, for the time of communion that we have together with you, as we share the cup and the bread, we do so, Father, in faith, believing that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again to give us eternal life. And Father, this bread we take and this cup we take, we do it remembering that it was you who spilled your blood who gave your body on the cross that we might have eternal life. And Father, you tell us when we take communion, we, we are to take it in such a way that we examine ourselves. We look in our heart and say, God, is there anything in me right now that I need to yield over to you? Is there any sin that I haven't confessed or not willing to confess? And just go through a cleansing process before we take the bread and the cup. It is a reminder of the purity that we need to be as your people. It is a reminder, God, of your return. That this life is not just about here and now. It is also about tomorrow and the next day and the return of Jesus Christ. And so, God, as we take communion, we take it proclaiming that Jesus died for us. He rose from the dead to give us eternal life. Thank you, God, that we can share together in these moments.